Hi, friends. Welcome to our podcast, Happily Together. We're your hosts. I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And can we just say that we are so glad you are here. Oh, it's a good day to be alive. I count my blessings and keep them all at my side. There ain't no stopping us or stopping. <laughs> Guess what I just had? A lot of Cheez-Its. Oh, have you ever... That wasn't judgmental. I eat them too. <laughs> Have you ever realized how good Cheez-Its are? I have never been one until you got pregnant. I've never been one to just pick up a box of Cheez-Its. I mean, I probably haven't life. done it since third grade, but ever they are so good. <laughs> wow. Um, we have an amazing conversation coming your way today. We do. It is all about sex and it is orgasms. Good. It's about the orgasm gap. Which is something I've never heard of until you brought that conversation up to I me. said, let's talk about the orgasm gap. Why so not many. Not between us. <laughs> no, not between us. But why so uh, fewer women yes. orgasm in sex than men. So today we brought on a specialist. Sex therapist. A sex psychologist to talk all about the orgasm gap. To talk all about uh, kind of both the individual um, reasons why there is an orgasm gap and the cultural reasons why there is an orgasm gap. Yeah. And what we can do to lessen the gap. Lessen the gap. We talk about masturbation. We talk about pleasure. We talk about, you know what? Talk a lot about purity culture. Some purity culture stuff. But what really is just crazy, and it's amazing that it's happening. She mentioned she mentions it in the podcast, but did she say it was the UN? Yes. So we were talking about abstinence-based sex education. Uh-huh. Um, and she said that the UN just decided or voted on that abstinence-based only sex education is a human rights violation. That is holy shit. Wild. And amazing. And she will break down why that is for you. And it is so fascinating. So we said this, but we talked with Dr. Lori Mintz today. She's incredible. She's a sex psychologist. She's full of wisdom. (laughs) And uh, she is also a professor at the University of Florida, where she teaches human sexuality to hundreds of undergraduates yearly. She has published over 55 academic works. It's amazing. Wow. She is also the author of very two popular press books, both with published studies demonstrating their effectiveness. One book is called Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. And another book is called A Tired Women's Guide to Passionate Sex. Dr. Lori has a private practice working with clients on general and sexual issues. She is a fellow of the American Psychological Association, indicating that her work has been a positive national influence on the field of psychology. She also had a positive influence on us today. And I think yes, she did. <laughs> she will have one on you as well. All of the links, everything that she mentioned um, in this podcast, all of the resources, they are available in the description of this podcast. Let's go ahead and listen to what Dr. Lori has to say. I'm feeling good today. Oh, I'm feeling good today. Oh, 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 yeah. Dr. Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. 
We're so excited to have you here. I, I love, uh, we're doing this series on satisfying sex. And I stumbled upon you on a podcast and I was like, we need to get her on. <laughs> <laughs> and when you had mentioned me and you said, I said, what is like her book about? And you're like becoming clitorate. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think this conversation or me being part of this conversation obviously would benefit both of us. So I'm excited <laughs> that you are here as well. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, can you, uh, I, I would love to hear maybe a little bit of the background around your, in your work, but I know your, your book, um, Becoming Cliterate and Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. Um, can you just give me some of the data around it and essentially kind of like why you wrote this book mm. and is solving the orgasm gap, solving a deeper issue in our culture, in our society, um, so on and so forth. Yeah, great question. Okay, so I'll start with why I wrote it and the data and then move to the deeper issue, um, which the short answer is yes, yes. but I'll circle Perfect. back to that. <laughs> um, so I teach the, well, I'm a licensed psychologist. I'm a certified sex therapist and I teach at the University of Florida. I teach the psychology of human sexuality to, you know, about 400 students a year. Mm. And um, it was really my students' experience, their pain, their excitement, their satisfaction, their conversations with them that ex inspired me to write Becoming Cliterate. Um, in a nutshell, there's a lot of scientific data that the orgasm gap between cisgender men and cisgender women is huge. And I can give lots of stats. I can circle back there, and I'm happy to. Okay. Um, cause they're pretty striking. Yeah. Um, but what happened is when I started teaching that in my class, it was way more than just a topic. My students mm. were really like, this is their life I'm talking about. Mm. This is like their pain. They're feeling like, especially like the women feeling like something's wrong with them because mm. they're not having fast and fabulous orgasms the way they see in the movies and in porn. And so I started, this was like 10 years ago, I started really teaching two topics that would help them close the orgasm gap. Um, and I was also completely blown away by how, little my students knew about female anatomy and mm. female pleasure which makes sense now right they had no good sex ed yeah and they were getting false images so they so many of my students felt broken and then when i would teach the accurate accurate information about female pleasure and how to achieve it and all of that i would start getting notes from my students like thanks to your class i'm orgasmic thanks to your class mm. my girlfriend's orgasmic and that is what inspired me to write Becoming Cliterate, which is a combination of cultural analysis about why do we have the orgasm gap, coupled with really clear prescriptive self-help based in the scientific literature to empower women to orgasm. So that circles to your question mm -hmm. about the deeper issue in the cultural analysis. Absolutely. I want to be very clear. I'm not blaming men for the orgasm gap. I'm not blaming women for the orgasm gap. I'm blaming culture. Mm. And 
you know, there's many layers of why our culture is broken. Um, but in terms of the orgasm gap, it's a reflection of our overvaluing of male sexual pleasure mm. and our devaluing of female sexual pleasure, which is, you know, I mean, rooted in patriarchy. Yeah. And um, it, even the words, I have a whole chapter in the book devoted to language, which is actually one of my favorite chapters. And I think that's the best way you can really see the cultural is if you look at the language we use, we use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same, mm. even though only four to 18% of women orgasm from intercourse alone. So we're calling the whole main act by the way men orgasm. Yeah, We relegate the way women most commonly reliably orgasm to just foreplay of the lead up to the main event. Mm. And finally, we, in our culture, we call our entire genitals a vagina. And by doing so, we're linguistically erasing the part of our own anatomy that is most likely to result in orgasm. And we're calling our entire genitals by the part that's more sexually satisfying to men than to women ourselves. Mm. So, to me that again i'm not blaming men yeah. not blaming women but culture has sold us all a false bill of goods absolutely that's so i'm even thinking of like just Karen and i have both we speak kind of extensively on growing up in purity culture mm -hmm. um we both grew up kind of mainstream mainstream evangelical and just like the dynamics of inside of christianity which i feel like is one of the bigger practice religions in the Western world and mm -hmm. our culture. Um, just the relationship dynamics between men and women and like women here are to submit to men <laughs> and therefore like, I, I'm not saying I agree with that. I think it's all bullshit <laughs> where that's not what we practice here in any way, but I'm just feeling like that the even the religion side of this mm -hmm. is obviously infused with the patriarchy mm -hmm. and it cultivates the same, um, kind of it, it continues the orgasm gap mm -hmm. if it helps supports it in so many ways as well mm -hmm. yeah and that purity culture also i mean it really diminishes female sexual pleasure Absolutely. and autonomy even the whole idea of virginity uh -huh. right uh -huh. it's like I mean, we could have a whole different conversation right about how that concept you know, it's about keeping women pure, really, yeah. mm. at its heart, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as if, and it's all about, virginity is all about, right, don't put the penis in the vagina until you're married. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's centering male dominated yeah. ideas yeah. on women's sexuality. Yeah. Can you um, define, if somebody's never heard the term orgasm gap, can you define what that means, what it is? Sure. I should have done that earlier because here great. I'm going off on this thing. <laughs> no, like, that's great. What it's rooted in and I didn't even tell you what it was. So thank you for backing me up the step. Um, so the orgasm gap is the consistent finding in the scientific literature, so these are studies published in peer-reviewed scientific journals that when cisgender men, because this is where the research is, so by cisgender men, I mean 
people born with penises who say, I'm a man, and I'm going to use the word man for the rest of this conversation in that way, get it on with cisgender women, because not everybody identifies right with the sex they're born with, so it's important to say those words. Mm -hmm. When cis women and cis men get it on, the women are having substantially fewer orgasms than the men. Mm. And here are some stats to underscore this gap and kind of maybe blow your mind. Um, in one study where they didn't ask the type of sex, they just said, how often do you usually orgasm during first time sex? 91% of men said they do versus 39% of women. Wow. <laughs> so now then we break it down to different types of sex, right? Yeah. So what about in hookup sex? That's where the gap is the biggest. Mm. Um, and there we have, you know, the stats vary, but in one study I conducted, about 65% of men said they usually have an orgasm during a first time hookup versus 4% of women. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then in relationship sex, it gets smaller, but it doesn't close altogether. And in relationship sex, it's about 65% versus 95%. So, you know, then it gets better, but it never closes. And just to tell you about two other gaps that are really important to understand this, a lot of people will say, oh, it's because women's orgasms are difficult or elusive. Mm. Our bodies are hard to make orgasm. Mm. But when women pleasure themselves, when they masturbate, 95% reach orgasm easily and within mm -hmm. minutes. Wow. There's nothing, we know how to do it. Nothing's wrong with our bodies. Something's wrong with how we do heterosexual sex and even more striking when women have sex with other women, they are more likely to orgasm wow. than when they have sex with men. In one study that I thought was the most fascinating of all, they studied, it was a very small study, but I am absolutely would bet my bottom dollar it would be replicated in a larger sample. It was just a subset of a smaller study. They studied, I think it was like 10 or so maybe, women who identified as bisexual, who had hookup sex, one night stands with both women and men. So this is the same woman, right? Mm. And they ask, if you have sex with a woman for a first time, how likely are you to orgasm versus with a man? So it's like, if I were bisexual, It'd be me saying, well, when I hook up with women, this happens when I hook up with men. And right. I'm the same person. I got the same right. genitals. Same anatomy. Each time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't change my genitals from one hookup to the other. 65% of the time, no, I'm sorry, 85% of the time they would orgasm with women versus 7% of the time with men. Wow. So this, all of these stats, um, the orgasm gap between women and men, between partnered sex versus self-pleasure and between sex with women and sex with men tell us the problem is not our bodies. The problem is culture and how we have been told heterosexual sex should go. Yeah. I'm guessing too, because I'm like, God damn, guys, do better. <laughs> like myself included. Like I, I'm hearing this. I'm guessing too that there has to be, and I know this is, I'm only speaking from my experience, 
and the way that I was raised, there was no conversation around pleasure. There was so much shame mm. around pleasure. Mm-hmm. I've carried so much shame around my sexuality and around pleasure. And it's created chaos in my life and so much of my therapy and so much of my healing work is rewriting those stories and healing and we're building resilience around that shame and those shame narratives. But I'm guessing a part of it is just men too, not knowing how to actually control and own their sexuality, not knowing how to really express their sexual energy in a mindful, conscious and healthy way. Mm where I, I feel like early on when I was started having sex and I was having sex strictly out of pain, it was, you know, there was two full things happening. One, and this is, I've come such a long ways. <laughs> this is like kind of embarrassing to say whatever, but it's like, I didn't care about the female orgasm, right? I wanted to get mine and mm. it was very selfish and me oriented. And I get that that's probably the case as well. But also I just also wasn't equipped with the tools with the awareness, with the education to mm-hmm. harness my sexual energy so that it could be expressed in the most fruitful way. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. It, it, it's, it sounds like, I mean, I think it's a, it's a sadly common story, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will say the orgasm gap is about men being selfish, but yeah. I, I really resonate. I think it's about, men being uneducated or men being in pain or men placing their, and there's even research on this, men placing their feelings of identity and masculinity on being able to give a woman an orgasm in the ways that they orgasm in the ways they've seen movies. And then we've got women faking it. So the whole thing is just a, what is happening like if we take that woman who um is is bisexual and is having you know the what do we say 85 percent success rate of orgasm in with with a female partner and then the seven percent what is happening differently in those two scenarios where she is able to orgasm 85 percent of the time versus the seven okay so lots of things are happening differently i think the first is there's more turn-taking, mm. right? Lesbian sex, not always, I can't say this like all lesbian sex, all heterosexual sex, but as a rule, lesbian sex is a lot more slow. It's a mm. lot more communicative. Mm. So those are other things. And there's a lot more turn-taking. I'm going to bring you pleasure, maybe oral sex, manual stimulation, vibrator, then I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring you sex for uh, pleasure. Like mm. it's a turn-taking model. And um, there's a lot more focus on clitoral stimulation, which is, you know, for 96% of women need that either alone or coupled with penetration. And in heterosexual sex, and I'm not saying penetration isn't pleasurable. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. But we revolve the whole encounter mm. around it. Mm-hmm. And mm. it's foreplay is just a lead up to this event. And that event is not likely to bring most women to orgasm. Yeah. So like in lesbian sex, penetration is optional. If it enhances pleasure, great. Mm. But it's in heterosexual sex, it is the main event. It's what we define as sex and 
that is not how most of us women orgasm. Mm. So fascinating. I know you, you've spoken a little bit about this, but, um, why is it that we are afraid to <laughs> include conversations around pleasure in our sex education? Why is it that culturally we don't, we don't talk about pleasure. We don't talk about how to pleasure, how to any of it. I, can yeah, I just I'm piggyback just... on that? Just so sorry to cut you off, Dr. Lori. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love that question. I think some of the most shame that I have felt, I can think of one time with um, a small season that I would have, and I'm not trying to, to undermine anybody else's challenges with this, but with disordered eating, um, a season that I went through with that, that was directly, and I could link it back to the shame I felt around masturbating. That I was so mad at myself for masturbating because it felt like I was weak and it felt like I gave in to myself, like I couldn't control it. Mm. I gave in to the urge. And then I remember immediately after climaxing, I went to the kitchen and just ate everything in my pantry. And it created so much shame in my life. And I can trace it back to specifically the shame I carry around pleasure. And it is still something that I am deconstructing today. Mm. So I'm just, I wanted to add to that because I feel like a lot of men carry shame around pleasure because we've never been taught that pleasure is actually good um, for so many different reasons. Mm. Yeah, that's, I'm so sorry you went through that. Thank and you. to me, that goes back to, you know, that's so painful because you felt you were taught but it did not come from your little boy head. It mm -hmm. came from culture you were being raised in that you were taught that something that is deeply pleasurable and deeply self-loving and completely normative mm -hmm. was so shameful mm -hmm. that you had to feel so bad about yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our sex ed, what we teach people things like that masturbation is bad no actually the research is very clear it's very healthy yeah physically psychologically um and um i lost my train of thought hang on a second here um yeah oh so we don't teach about masturbation and sex ed we don't teach about consent we don't teach about pleasure we simply say yeah. If you have sex, meaning P and the V, before you get married, you will be sick and die and be an awful person. <laughs> so, um, so true. <laughs> you know, no one says, hey, 99% of the time, we are not doing this to make a baby. We are doing it because it feels good. Mm. And let's talk about making each other feel good respectfully, yeah. lovingly. Yeah. With consent, with enthusiastic yeah. consent. Yeah. In the Netherlands, um, they have a great sex ed system and they start young and they go all the way through high school and they get increasingly, you know, complex, age appropriate, but they teach about the clitoris. They mm. teach about pleasure. They teach about orgasm. They teach about masturbation. They teach about consent. Guess what? There's not only a very small orgasm gap there there's less sexual assault yeah, mm. yeah. Mm -hmm. like like t i truly believe that if we teach people that sex is supposed to be pleasurable yeah. we will be able to decrease things like sexual because 
sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And like it isn't something done to us. It's something we enjoy. And also, sadly, 30% at least of women say they had pain, pain mm-hmm. at their last instance of penetrative sex. And most don't say a word to their partner. Yeah. They grin yeah. and bear, they grin and bear it because we're not told that if we were told this is supposed to be pleasurable, then we might say stop yeah. when yeah. it isn't yeah. pleasurable. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, oh, sorry. Go. I, I've been watching um, Call the Midwife. It's this like BBC show about midwives in England in the 50s and 60s. It's like my pregnancy, uh, my binge worthy show. But there's an episode um, where, you know, they're teaching, these midwives are teaching female anatomy. And this woman comes in and is so angry about it. She's so angry that she that these women are being taught about their bodies because there's so much fear that if they know about their bodies, then they may become uh, sexually promiscuous or or whatever the thing might be. And uh, we just did an episode uh, yesterday. We we did a podcast about um, what I wish I would have known before I was married. And one of the girls who, who wrote in uh, an answer, she said, I wish, um, I wish I had good sex ed because Because the purity culture that I grew up in didn't teach me anything about my body. And I think it's, I mean, when I think about it, it feels like a cultural crisis, how little women know about their own physical bodies. And probably too, that, that coupled with men, they don't, they don't know about our bodies either, but there's not necessarily the permission to, to know that. So I'm curious, do you see that? shifting do you see kind of the conversation the education shifting in a way that it is becoming more uh conversational and and important for us to know about our actual anatomy because i think just, yeah. i'm sorry dr Lori. i'm so sorry <laughs> no, this is our good. third you're podcast good. today and i'm just lots of words <laughs> um but i think just to going back to what you have said as well in terms of like the violence and the decrease of sexual violence if we had more education, I'm speaking from my experience and as a man, if we had more education around pleasure, around the how sexuality is fluid, I'm just I'm just thinking about how many men suppress what they feel, right? They hide what they feel. They don't talk about these feelings or these sexual desires or these urges because it doesn't fit into this nice little picture, this box that we've been handed and saying like your sexuality and your thoughts of sex has to stay in this box to be good. Right. When, because we suppress and deny it, that obviously is going to result in a lot of uncomfortable pent up energy that then is demonstrated and expressed in unhealthy ways. Mm -hmm. So it makes total sense why we would see a decrease in the very things that we're afraid of. It's the same exact thing that I see when I go and speak in schools where sometimes schools will be like, we can't talk about suicide. Mm. Like what? Like, because if we talk about suicide, then they're going to have permission to go and use your words and commit that act. And it's just mind boggling. So back to your question, Kara. Thank you for letting me inter- interrupt. No, can I jump off that for Please. one? Please. Yeah. Yeah. That idea is, is so false that if we teach, it's the same idea that people use to say we can't teach comprehensive sex ed Mm, the mm -hmm. idea that if we mention something to kids it's permission to do it and i the research is just the opposite yeah that if we talk to kids about sex comprehensive sex Mm -hmm. ed instead of just don't do it they are much less likely 
It's the opposite. Yeah. They're much less likely to have sex. Abstinence-based sex ed, this is mind-blowing. It's so ineffective. The mm. result is pe- teenagers, let's face it, they're horny. <laughs> Absolutely. feeling, right? So all absent, what happens based on abstinence sex ed is they feel so ashamed of what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. They yeah. don't do it safely. Yeah. There are more pregnancies and STIs from people who've had abstinence-based sex ed than comprehensive sex ed. So it, it is it is such a scientifically unsound idea. I love that. that mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, you will be very interested, I think, coming from purity culture, where talk about the the sort of heartland of, of yes. abstinence-based sex ed, right? The, at the Society for Adolescent Medicine, so these are the physicians who are caring for adolescents, mm. have labeled abstinence-only sex ed a human rights violation. Wow. Wow. And the reason is the United Nations say that a fundamental human right is access to accurate information. Mm. And sex ed is teaching value-based lies, yeah. not wow. scientifically accurate wow. information. That is wow. massive. That's actually so huge to, to, to know that and to name that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm just like, I, yeah. So really the way you grew up, what you were told about your sexuality, if I can be so bold yeah. was in my estimation, not only traumatizing, but a violation of oh, your human right. right to accurate information. 100%. It, I think, I think back to that time and I do, it was wildly traumatic. Yeah. It is wildly traumatic. And and how many lies and false information were infused into, I mean, what may have been a well-intentioned <laughs> movement. I don't know. I don't know. I think it was a fear-based crazy movement. But but everything in the church was fear-based. Yeah. And that came from the church, which obviously came from the patriarch. Like, it mm-hmm. makes sense, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I didn't yeah. have a point other than that. It, it makes me think of, the, uh, in my hypnobirthing class, they're like, if you tell someone not to think of a, purple kangaroo what are they going to think of yeah. you think of a purple kangaroo <laughs> so it, it is interesting that we think that by the by omitting information by omitting um data and actual factual things that that it's going to yeah. create some kind of prevention yeah so is going i guess is is the story from your experience is it changing do you see groups um kind of lobbying to like even that netflix show sex ed as sex education that's the british show or whatever i would watch that early on when it first came out and i could feel the shame response mm. like we don't talk about those things we're not allowed to talk about those it would make me wildly uncomfortable mm. and i'm just like wait other cultures are growing up having these conversations like this mm. And so I, I, I just, I'm wondering, is it becoming more of a centered, front and centered conversation um, in America from what you can tell? So you have to understand, I don't know if I can answer that yeah. question because I live in this, just like yes. you grew up in purity culture, I live immersed in, in a completely sex positive, scientifically based world. The, yeah. I, 
I teach it, I put it on social media, I follow other people on social media from that same. So from my point of view, yes, it's better, but it could be where I'm immersed. But I can say that in teaching my big psychology of human sexuality class over the last like 10 or 11 years, I have seen a shift in Mm. the fact that I feel like my students are coming in more more educated, more aware. Now the problem is what is in our head, Mm. not always what's in our hearts or our behavior. Mm. So I have seen the shift in knowledge, Mm -hmm. but I still feel like the, 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 the embodiment of shame and the, you know, the messages, it's like, we can know something here, but it takes a while for it to be, us to behave on it. And your examples are really very clear of that to me. Like you, you've, it seems like you have let go of these shame-based religious teachings. You've left purity culture. You're set. You're trying, look, you're doing this podcast, right? You're trying <laughs> Satisfying to be sex. positive and yet your, your mind is there, but you still Absolutely. have these shame responses. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think part of um, even our our desire to create this series has been because we are having a daughter and I want her to grow up so self-aware of her body, so in love with her body, so able to communicate about her body. Um, and so much of my story was I grew up in a, a hateful relationship with my body because I was told my body was bad and sinful and was very dangerous for men, (laughs) like so infiltrated into, into purity culture. Um, so how, how for women, if, if that it has been the narrative, if that has been the story, how can we start to, you know, create change for them? What is, what is, what has been the narrative of what has been the story, the, the The shame stories or like, or even just, um, for women who are listening to this and, and feeling like, yeah, I don't, I don't orgasm and sex. What's the, what's the beginning yeah. meat of change? How do we close so the I gap? Think it, how do we close the gap? The first, yeah. How do we close the gap? <laughs> There's a culturally or an in individual bedrooms. I think they go hand right. in hand, but I think this kind of conversation is a starter, knowing what it is, knowing it's there, mm. knowing you're not broken. Yeah. Um, if you don't orgasm from intercourse or, um, so, and then, then there's the, the self step. So the first thing is your mind, right? Like let, like working on the shame, working on sex, negative thoughts, like really consciously. And that's way harder than it sounds. You just go, okay, I'm not going to, it's really takes quite a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. And then also a uh, mindfulness is another really important aspect of training the brain. So because so like so it's thinking sex positive things not in the bed um and and being mindful in your body embodied mm-hmm. present mind and body in place when you are in bed because so many times our body may be doing one thing and our mind is like do i look fat do i smell mm-hmm. bad is this yeah. a terrible thing i'm doing mm-hmm. am i sitting yeah so mind number one then number two and i know this is also not an okay thing to say in purity culture, but as a scientist and a sex therapist, it is essential. Um, masturbate. Mm, Take yeah. time 
with yourself and every vulva is different. The way everybody needs to be stimulated is different. Take the time, find out what you want. Mm. Then the next step is sexual communication, being able to sit down with the partner outside of the bedroom and during a sexual encounter and say, this feels good, this doesn't, this is what I want, this isn't what I want. Again, in the false movies, I, my students, one of my students said it beautifully the other day. She goes, no one says a word and everybody's coming right and left. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And, it's and so that's true. not how it works. And then finally, doing it all differently, putting it together. Everything you've just learned, stop doing this. Foreplay leads to intercourse. Intercourse leads to male orgasm, sex over. Do it differently. differently. Mm. Turn taking. Oral yeah. sex for her where she comes, followed by intercourse where he comes. Enough fooling around where the vagina is prepared and it won't be painful and use mm. lube. Intercourse, then use a vibrator mm-hmm. on her. Or the woman taking her own hand or a vibrator during intercourse. Yeah. Mm. So, so all of those things, our yeah. mind and our bodies and our communication. And it takes a lot of work, but it's... It is completely and totally doable. Yeah. yeah. I love that it's approached as like, this is something you practice. Mm. It's something you work on. It's not something you're gifted or not gifted with. It's not that yeah. fixed mindset. You can approach this with a very growth oriented mindset. And as I'm hearing you say some of these things, especially the mindfulness part, this mind body mm. connect mm-hmm. and getting out of your head. Am I doing it right? Am I too big? Am I smelly? What's happening? Whatever the questions are. Um, I feel like a a big component in all of this because of what you had just said is also vulnerable to go there, right? It's vulnerable, you know, I'm still learning how to ask what I want to be in touch with what my body actually wants and knowing that I can communicate and express my desires and that it be good, but that's vulnerable. And so I just, I'm guessing like psychological safety, Mm is such a critical component in all of this. And so I feel like in so many ways, it's like, are you even emotionally safe? And I'm guessing also that probably, I'm sorry, am I talking a lot? Mm-hmm. Um, you're like looking at me smiling. Um, I'm guessing that's also a reason probably why, I wonder if women orgasm less as well because they don't really feel, em- is, what's the emotional safety? Mm. Do emo- does emotional safety does play, play a big yeah. role in the orgasm? It's such a great question. I love, love, love that question. So it's mixed. We, I, there's data on both sides and experience on both sides. So um, there is a lot of research that say the relationship aspect is important, right? Mm-hmm. For women's safety is important. And, and um, women are more likely yeah. to orgasm in relationships. Now, is that because they feel more safe or is that because their partner cares more about their pleasure mm-hmm. and they've been able to express it? On the one hand, so yes, I think that's a component. On the other hand, I have worked with women who were interested in hookup sex and were able to be orgasmic in hookup sex without really knowing the person, person once they became empowered enough to say empowered yeah i don't care if i've just met you tonight but if we're doing this <laughs> yeah it's for me too yeah yeah and here's what i need and sense. here's what i want so yeah it's not either or it's both 
and, and mm. I think it's very individual. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that. I read, um, I think on your blog that, uh, up to 70% of women fake orgasm. Is that yes. an accurate number? That feels it's 67% to be exact, but pretty close to 70. Yeah. Yeah. That feels enormously high. Um, is, would your advice to women be stop faking orgasm? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. By faking, you are teaching your partner to do exactly what doesn't work for you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on. So the solution, so the solution is to stop faking and become communicative. Yes. Now I have given <laughs> workshops all around the country and all that. And the one thing that really strikes me is sometimes I have a woman, well, I'll give a specific example, raised her hand and said, okay, I get it. Um, Now I know why I orgasm when I masturbate and not with my husband, but I've been faking 30 years. Now what do I do? Wow. Yeah. So because at that point, if you reveal that, that feels like hurtful and a betrayal even though that wasn't the reason it was to please her partner Mm. you know so then there's like a crossroads so what i told this woman is you don't have to say you've been faking to not fake what you can say is outside of the bedroom at what i call a kitchen table sex talk to emphasize that you shouldn't be talking about sexual problems in the middle of sex, just like you wouldn't talk about, <laughs> you know, you know, that you should talk, um, mm. that she could say to her partner, I went to this workshop and I learned all about vibrators and clitoral stimulation. And I learned that they enhance women's orgasms mm. and I love sex with you and I love you. And I would like us to try some of these things I learned. Mm -hmm. Are you interested? And then that way she can move the sexual encounter in a way that's better for her Uh and stop faking for real stop faking, but without confessing something that's going to blow things up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, I think another narrative uh, that I was told, and maybe it's true or it's not true. I guess I'm I'm going to ask a sex therapist. Um, But I I guess, like, again, I know abstinence-based sex ed, fear-based sex ed, the same thing came around, like, pornography um, with this idea of if you reach climax or if you orgasm, with pornography you lessen your chance of being able to orgasm with your partner Mm. because in pornography in porn you can kind of create the search criteria to match the perfect experience for you and it's not always going to be necessarily the perfect experience for you inside the bedroom is there an element of truth to that data that supports that you are bringing up one of the most controversial topics (laughs) therapy and sex research field yeah um i mean i'm on listservs of sex therapists and nobody nothing gets everybody more (laughs) riled up than a definitive statement about pornography it's terrible and men are having erectile dysfunction because of it and it's really good and it's a sex aid like you're gonna get explosion yeah so here's my conclusion having and this is not my expertise so it's like but i have read the research i do have to know enough about it to teach my class and here's my conclusion porn is here to stay right 
I mean, it's not going away. So what I think we need is more porn literacy to Mm -hmm. help people Mm -hmm. that these are actors and actresses. This is how it's filmed. This is not real. It's entertainment. It's not education, first of all. And second of all, what we know is most people do not get, don't get compulsive about it. Most people don't. Sex therapists are pretty much against the word addiction when we come to the porn. So I'm going to use the word compulsive. Most people don't become compulsive users. Mm. And by compulsive, I mean, you're staying home from work to do it. You would rather do it porn than have a partner. Only about, oh, 11% or so of users get problems, just like alcohol, right? Like some of us can have a glass of wine on the weekends or even every night without becoming an alcoholic. Other people can't. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and for some pornography is helpful, especially like there's like, it helps jumpstart arousal for some people. Mm. Um, But there are some people, particularly young men who have grown up turbo masturbation, right? Like hard, you know, they're, they're, they're masturbating in a way that's so intense and the stimulation is so intense that they do have trouble Mm. connecting Mm. with a real partner. Mm. And so what's the solution? You know, there's a great um, scholar on this. His name is Marty Klein. And I went to a workshop with him and he said, don't tell the person to give up masturbation tell the person to give up porn when they masturbate. And they will typically say, I can't do it. I can't come without porn to which he says, you know, men have been doing this. since <laughs> the yeah. Give it some time and you'll figure you'll be able to. Yeah. So it's not, I can't tell you porn is good. Porn is bad. I think yeah. it's very good for some people. Mm. It's neutral for others and That's it's very answer. bad for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, it's, it's always just interesting because I, I mean, if, if you haven't kind of picked up on it, I don't really subscribe to like the, the masculine side of masculinity. <laughs> um, I am led more by my feminine side. And so I'll, I know there's a lot of men's coaches out there that are very like, you know, beating their chest with their fist and, you know, masculine forward willfulness and willpower. And they subscribe to this idea of like, you know, porn is just complete and utter weakness Mm. right your need for porn means that you are not good enough yourself and so they have really demonized the. and they i think they i I just came across the reason why i asked that is i came across a post basically just recently um that was saying like your desire for porn is reducing the intimacy with your wife Mm. um and they really stand strong on that so Mm. i appreciate your answer though I yeah, think just life yeah. in general, the more you grow and the more you learn, it's not as dualistic as we like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much gray. You're living in the gray, and mm-hmm. part of life is living with the unanswered questions. And I think the way that we've learned how to navigate that with more intentionality awareness is just being connected to our body. Our body is telling us the deeper narratives of our lives that we want to pay attention to. So just mm-hmm. staying present, being mindful, and connected to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making room for nuance yeah. and spaciousness Absolutely. in terms of all experiences. And in, it strikes me 
you know, you all were raised in purity culture, like sex is bad. Sex is like dualistic, right? Yeah. So dualistic. Before marriage is bad, yeah. sex in marriage is good. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's, you know, although like it's very hard to flip the switch. Okay, yeah. I'm married. Now it's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but it seems like the porn narrative is very similar, very mm. black and white, mm-hmm. good or bad. Yes. When there's just so many nuances. nuances. I love Depending that. on the type of porn, the, the person, their history, their relationship, their self-esteem, their support system. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so nuanced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's on your website where you talk about uh, mindful sex is mind-blowing sex. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us when when you you use the term mindful sex? What does that mean? What is mindful sex? So mindfulness, let me step back. Mm. Mindfulness is when your mind and body is in the same place. Mm. I mean, so many times, right, our body is in one place and our mind is in the other. Like somebody who's listening to this podcast, like their body might be down the road listening and and they might, their body's like sitting there listening, but their mind may go somewhere else or... You ever be talking to a friend and then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I missed the last minute <laughs> of what they're saying. I'm because I left my body, I yeah. left this space, and that happens all the time to all of us. It's normal, it's human. Um, but the key is to notice it and bring your mind back to the present, to mm. your body. That's what meditation teaches you to do. Um, I love the metaphor of a roller coaster. Do y'all like roller coasters? I love them. This one, not They're so much. They're growing on me. <laughs> okay, so do you know, like, if you're like me, when they buckle you in, your mind's going crazy. I hope this is not going to break. I hope uh-huh. this this is really buckled. Yeah. Why am <laughs> I doing on? this? Oh, uh, yeah, help. Oh, what am I thinking? I hope it's over soon. Oh, I'm thinking about this fleet, you know, freak yeah. accident that I read about 10 years ago. <laughs> And then as you wrote, once you get to that first downhill, you stop thinking. Yeah. You are totally in your body, your mind and your body might be screaming, but you're in the same place Mm. and that's mindfulness. And interestingly, I say mindfulness to sex's best friend, right? Because being, having, you could be receiving oral sex and be feeling it and enjoying it. That's Mm. mindfulness. Or you could be laying there thinking, do I smell funny? Do I look funny? <laughs> mm, is yeah. it taking too long? So mindfulness sex is mind-blowing sex because you are in your body. Mm. And finally, very interesting research shows that our brain state right before orgasm is very similar to the brain state right bef- in deep mindfulness meditation. Wow. When our, our self-consciousness, our self-monitoring is turned off and we are just present in the moment. That's beautiful. I believe that. So interesting. Um, The last question I have, you've been tremendous or remarkable. I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us today. Um, Kara had briefly mentioned it earlier. Something, do you know, like Dr. Tina uh, Shermer Sellers? Um, Yeah. So she's become kind of a friend of ours and we are very, intentional and learning how to become 
and how to parent shamelessly, mm-hmm. especially around sex education. We want to, to have a very sex have positive, home. very sex positive home for our child, a very sex positive experience. Um, from your experience as not only a mother but also a sex therapist, um, what are the some of the do's and the don'ts when it comes to creating sex positive homes? education from a young age labeling body parts there's a great book called belly buttons are navels too and it's um by Corey silverberg i think and it's like right from the get-go this is your vulva this is your clitoris this is your penis like no shame Mm. why would you tell a kid and if you're this this is your hand yeah because we're terrified of talking about the elbow Uh you know we don't you know so Starting young, labeling body parts, not shaming children masturbate, yeah. mm. not shaming them, but telling them, hey, that's something everybody does. It feels good. That's OK. Mm. Go in your bedroom, though. That's considered private. Yeah. Like just very matter of fact. Um, there is a great Instagram handle. Have you followed sex positive families? Yes. Um, she no. was actually supposed to come on. So, yeah, I don't awesome. follow her. I will. Yeah, they have great advice, Um, you know, and it's just open, honest education, communication. One of the things they posted that actually blew my mind that I just had never thought about was if so, if your little girl doesn't want to give Uncle Jerry a hug or Mm. kiss hello, don't make her, don't say that like, Go hug. Yeah. You don't want to do that anyway. Because what is that teaching her? You don't yeah. have autonomy yes. over your body. Totally. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. And yes. you're being a rude girl to not do that. No, it's like, okay, maybe she's got a good feeling that yeah. Uncle Jerry's kind of a creep. Yeah, yeah. And so or good. Or maybe she's just not in the mood to hug. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love That's- that. Yeah, that sense of self-agency yeah, and you're autonomy. You're teaching your kids not to trust themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's powerful. That's beautiful. Dr. Lori, thank you for your wisdom. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, so you for much. the work that you're doing. I I am obsessed with it. <laughs> <laughs> All I want to see is women who are empowered and feel connected to themselves and them, their bodies. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, do you have a final? No, that's it. I'm I'm processing now. <laughs> like <laughs> processing well, thank everything. Thank you for having me on and good luck with being parents and kudos to you because not many people oh, yeah can leave purity culture and be so empowered and sex positive. So I have a lot of respect for your journeys. Mm. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot. I did have just a a two rapid fire questions. It'll probably be easy for you. Um, But one, if I bought you billboard space and it could say anything you want, what would the billboard say? Oh, see, you say it's easy. I don't know. That's too much pressure. Um, Let's see if I could buy a billboard. And is this billboard just for the world? For the world. For the world. For the, anybody on the interstate. Mm-hmm. In Florida. In Florida. <laughs> In, about sex or about a- anything? Anything. Um, you are worthy and beautiful and your body is just fine the way it is. Love that. Uh, so I support good. this billboard. I will support that. Too. <laughs> you had mentioned a couple on the podcast, but if there was only one book outside of besides your own, if there's only one book that you could gift the rest of your life, what book would that be? That is such a good question too. Um, 
I have a book I gift to okay, people. Great. Um, I, it's such a, it's, um, Anna Quinlan's A Short Guide to a Happy Life. A short, short Guide, guide to, to a Happy, happy life. life. I haven't, I love that. This is why I asked this question. Yeah, that's good. And awesome. It, um, it was her commencement speech. I don't remember at what college and it's, it's beautiful. Amazing. Awesome. We'll check it out. And beautiful and very like. A 10 minute read. Amazing. Perfect. And then final question. What does it mean to you to build a life happily together? How do you build a life happily together? You mean like as a married person? Yeah, Open-ended. Just, <laughs> How do we live happily together? Whether it's with your partners, together? with your friends, what has helped you the most in living a ha- life happily together? Mm, respect and communication. Beautiful. Okay. Even if my husband and I are having a fight, because married people disagree, (laughs) um, I often think to myself, he's a really smart person who I respect. So I am going to listen for the grain of truth in what he's saying Mm -hmm. and evaluate it because I respect him. Um, You know, sometimes he infuriates me, but I still respect. (laughs) Him. And I infuriate him, but I think, you know, vulnerable, honest communication coupled with respect. I love it's beautiful. that. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Ah, thank you. I'm feeling good today. Oh, I'm feeling good today. Oh, oh, oh.